Shabbat Shalom, y'all. Beautiful morning, isn't it? Well, I've entitled uh, my little teaching this morning on the uh, parasha, Dot Your I's and Cross Your T's. And some of you who are grammar cops um, will notice that the I and the T are lowercase, and it shouldn't be that way because it's a title. But the problem is, if I capitalized it, the I wouldn't be dotted and the T wouldn't be crossed. What can I tell you? Well, this week, so dot your I's and cross your T's. This week's parasha is entitled Emor, meaning say it, and covers Leviticus chapters 21 through 24. These chapters reveal a God who is supremely holy, who pays attention to details, and demands the same of those who would draw near to him. God is awesome in perfection. Hence, the Kohanim, the priests who represented God to Israel and vice versa, had to be free of physical defects. He's flawless. They needed to be flawless. The Kohanim were likewise a type of Messiah Yeshua, who was himself flawless in all respects. Anyone blind or lame or having a facial disfigurement or eczema, or a crushed testicle, were disqualified. Even something as simple as a broken bone or a limp prevented a man from serving at the altar. Well, I and many of us here would be ineligible on that basis alone. I on several fronts. (laughs) The priest's lifestyle was also to reflect holiness. A priest could not marry a divorcee, a widow, a woman who had ever been a prostitute or an adulteress, only a virgin Israeli. In terms of ritual purity, the priest was not to have any contact with a deceased person. Chapter 22 states the requirements of animals brought for sacrifice to Adonai. Animals with any sort of blemish or deformity were also unacceptable as sin offerings or burnt offerings. We were also prohibited from slaughtering a cow or a sheep and its young on the same day. There was to be no cruelty, but to allow at least a week for the mother and youngling to be together. Animals may be simple, but they do have feelings, and God cares about all of his creation. Chapter 23 outlines the seven annual holidays of Israel, four in the spring and three in the fall. Why did God command these festivals? To make our lives more complicated? Absolutely not. These were special occasions for us to draw near to God and to enjoy his presence. And he knows how much we need periodic spiritual course corrections, periodic reminders of who we are and who he is. Each of these holidays, and I realize for most of us here at Shema, this is review, but we also have people uh, watching online. And by the way, welcome to everybody who's watching. Um, Each of these holidays in various ways points to Yeshua as the promised Messiah. Pesach, 
Passover portrays Yeshua as the spotless lamb of God, not a bone of whom was broken and by whose blood death passes over those who obey. The seven-day holiday of unleavened bread or matzah points to Yeshua, Jesus, as the sinless one who for our sake was afflicted, broken, striped, and pierced. Bikurim, or first fruits, falling on the third day of Passover week, anticipated Messiah's resurrection on the third day. Seven weeks and a day later, Shavuot, the holiday of weeks, or Pentecost as it's come to be known, with the new grain and the wave offering of two loaves of bread baked with leaven, look ahead to the Holy Spirit's coming and drawing together Jew and Gentile in Messiah as one new man. Now Leviticus mentions no summer festivals. Summer is when the crops are growing and ripening, but the harvest is yet to come. In terms of God's redemption of the world, I believe we are in the very late days of summer. For the past 2,000 years, the seed of the gospel has been germinating. It's been going out worldwide and taking root. The harvest of believers from all the nations will soon be gathered in at the end of this age. Israel's three fall festivals are also prophecies anticipating this time the second coming of the Messiah. Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, on the first day of the seventh month of Tishrei, with its blowing of shofars, ram's horns, anticipates the coming great day when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the shofar, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah shall rise. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, occurs on the 10th day of Tishrei. The high priest, representing all Israel, would enter the Kadosh Kadoshim, the Holy of Holies, but only after elaborate ritual purification and the offering of a bull for his own sin. What a solemn day. It was all or nothing. We would either be accepted by God and live another year or be judged by God and condemned. God commanded us on Yom Kippur to humble ourselves, afflict our souls, to reflect on our desperate need of God's forgiveness for our many sins. The rabbis tell us that in ancient times, a scarlet-colored piece of fabric was tied to the azazel, the goat of removal, the scapegoat, and another piece of scarlet fabric nailed to the temple gate. And they say that when the azazel met its death, instantaneously the scarlet-colored fabric would turn white, symbolizing God's acceptance of our atonement for the year and reminding us of the words of Isaiah, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Imagine the gladness and relief that everybody would feel in that moment, seeing that transformation. That relief would naturally give way to joy and celebration, which is what the final seventh holiday in this cycle was all about, Sukkot, the holiday of tabernacles, five days later on the 15th of Tishri. 
the sukkahs, the little shelters that we build and decorate with leafy branches, look back to our wandering in the Sinai Desert. The sukkah, which is so temporary, also reminds us that our sojourning in this world is temporary. This isn't our home, and these bodies of ours will one day fail. Sukkot also looks ahead to Messiah's millennial kingdom of peace and abundance and our eternity in the presence of God in fellowship. As the apostle John wrote, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. These are wonderful holidays. Let me conclude with two thoughts. First, even if you are not physically perfect like Israel's priests had to be, don't despair. God graciously calls we who are followers of Yeshua a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we have a righteous, flawless high priest who for our sake was disfigured. Because Yeshua the Messiah has provided the ultimate atonement offering of himself once for all time, we are accepted by God when we are in him. And secondly, finally, the title of this was Dot Your I's and Cross Your T's. God's grace cannot be used and we cannot, we cannot, it cannot be our excuse for a sloppy life. Those burnt offerings were to be flawless animals, the very best we had. Are you giving God the best you have? The best of your finances, your abilities, your time, or as I like to call it, the fat portions? Are you giving him the best, or is he getting the leftovers? Are you dotting the I's and crossing the T's in your life? Yes, walk in his grace. But it's that very grace that should move you to give the Lord God of Israel your very best and to accomplish all that you do at work, in your family, and in your neighborhood with excellence. Amen.